Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to the Bridge Teaching Podcast. We hope that the messages you hear are both uplifting and challenging. And now, welcome to the Bridge. Like Jael said, I'm not Pastor Jackson. I am Joey. I tried my best to look like him, though, uh, wearing the Bridge stuff. I feel like they, they feel skinny on me. Maybe I just ate too big of a lunch. Um, man, I, I love you guys, and it is actually such an honor and a privilege just to, to be up here one last time. And um, But the night's not about me. The night's about the Word of God, and I'm excited to dive into that with you guys. Um, the title for the teaching is Something to Live For. I titled it that because, as stated, this is my last time that I get to be up here, and I wanted to... I wanted to this is why I'm saying it so many times, so I can drive it home, that I want this message to stick with you, because I've been with you for just under two years, and I know, much like Jason, he, like he doesn't listen to anything I say, ever, ever. And so I'm saying that because I want you to listen to this message, of, and, and by listen, I mean ask yourself this question as we go through the passage, of how do you make your faith something worth living for? I think that's a question that a lot of us uh, just kind of assume the answer to. But if we really look at our lives, it's not correlating to the answer that we assume that the answer should be. So how do we make our faith something that we live for? If you have your Bibles, we're going to open to Romans 12. Romans 12, verse 11. It reads this, if you can put it on the screen. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. So let's pray, uh, and then we're going to dive in. Lord, thank you so much for this, uh, this chance to just dive into your word. God, I pray right now that you open our hearts to receive what you have for us. God, I pray that we would, um, we would experience you in this place, that we would just see how great you love us in a fresh way. God, that you would put uh, a zealous heart in our, uh, in our spirit for you, God, that we would just strive after you, that we would grow in you, and that we would um, come to love you on a deeper level even tonight, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have you guys ever played Minecraft? Yeah. Yeah? I was afraid I would date myself with that one, but I guess it's still relevant. Uh, I used to play Minecraft all the time. Like, I loved that game. So me and my friends used to, before I played video games, it's still, it's still classic. I'm sure if I played, I would still love it. Uh, but me and my friends, there's a group of five of us, and we would all go to the, like, one central house, right? And we would all snag our TVs from our living room and line them up in, like, an oval shape in this person's bit. Like, have you guys done that? Am I the only one? All the guys said yes to that, and all the girls are like, what are you talking about? Like, we don't know. Um, so we did that, and we really, the goal was just to destroy his internet server. Um, but we would play Minecraft till, like, 5 a.m., right? We survived on, like, pizza, bagel bites, and monster. It was great. And yes, sir. But here's the thing. Like, we would compete. Like, we would build, like, the, the most glorious houses that you can build in Minecraft and then, like, fight each other and see who could destroy it first. Um, and we were competitive about it. Like, we did not, we would throw controllers. We were not godly with the way that we dealt with our anger in those moments. Um, but we were, we were, we were excited about that. And so that's the, that's the, the theme, that's the, the essence that I want to capture with this verse. That's the excitement that we should have about our faith when it says, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. But I can't give you guys one verse and not give you any context. So why is Romans 12 important? Well, first let's look at Romans 1 through 11 leading up to it. Paul wrote Romans and it is a magnificent picture of the gospel. 
And it's, it's, it's very detailed. There's 11 chapters. And if you don't know what the gospel is, here's a 30-second picture of what the gospel is. God created the world to be perfect. He wanted relationship with human beings, and he created no sin, no death, no anything. It was perfect. But then Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God's one command. And so since God is holy, humans are not, we were eternally separated. Everybody born after Adam and Eve could not be in the presence of God because we were not holy, and he is holy. And so that needed a sacrifice. There needed to be some sort of reconciliation, a way where we could get back to God. And his name is Jesus. And he's God's son, and he sent him to the earth to die for your sins and for my sins. And then he raised to life on the third day, and that's what we're about to celebrate on Easter, that he is now king and Lord, and he's coming back again. And whoever believes in him would receive eternal life, would be reconciled back to God. That's the gospel that Paul paints the picture of in the first 11 chapters of Romans. And chapter 12 is the first response chapter. And so I think we hear a lot of messages about the gospel, and it's awesome, and it's the reason we live, and we need to pay attention to it when we, when we talk about the gospel. But what's next, right? Like, what's our response to the gospel? And if we look at Romans 12, 1, the very first response, he says, offer yourself, it's not going to be on the screen, sorry, Connor, to confuse you. He says, offer yourself as a living sacrifice, he says, you just heard this gospel. If you believe the things that I just wrote about, the things that Jesus did, what you will do is worship him. That's our response, right? Our first initial response is to worship him. And then in verses 3 through 8 of Romans 12, coming up to verse 11, he speaks about spiritual gifts. And he talks to the, the people in Rome, and he says, you have to figure out what you're good at. You have to figure out what you like doing, and here's how you go about doing that. So Paul says, our response, before we make any actions practical to our life, what we need to do is we need to worship God, and we need to find out our identity. We need to figure out who we are and whose we are. That's our response to the gospel. We have to bend the knee to Christ as Lord, and we have to worship him, and we also have to see our identity as Christ now sees our identity. That's the first response to the gospel. But then he continues in verse 9. And in verse 9 of Romans 12 is really where we get practical. It's really the, the, the action step of the response. And the first action step is to let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with a brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Okay, so remember, the first response is to put God as priority. The second response is to know your identity. Know how Christ sees you, which... It's a very hard thing to do, might I add. I don't want to gloss over that. It's hard to know who you are, and that's why we're here. We're trying to figure that out, right? The Bible says it, but we're trying to grasp it. But then he says the first action is the greatest commandment just in a different word. He says, let love be genuine. He says, love other people, right? In Colossians, uh, Paul is writing to the church of Colossae about the gospel and a response to it, and he says, bear with one another, forgiving one another as you have been forgiven, right? So it's it's a, it's a theme that love is a first response. And I think those are three messages that we hear a lot of the time, right? It's the gospel, the response of worship and finding your identity, and loving other people. And those three are vital. They're super important. I firmly believe that. And I think Jackson does a fantastic job at teaching those three things. And so I want to I talk about what do we do after that? Like, how do we do that? 
right? Because those are the most important things. That's our mission. That's our purpose. But how do we do that, right? And we do that by what Romans 12, 11 says. Let's look at it again. It says, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. So how do we do what we were just called to do before in Romans 12? Well, we do it with energy. And so here comes your first point, if you're taking notes, that an idle spiritual life will hinder your purpose. An idle spiritual life will hinder your purpose. Well, again, what's our purpose? Our purpose is to worship God, to know our identity, and to love other people. And so if we look at what an idle life means, uh, we should first define some terminology. The verse says, do not be slothful in zeal. If you have a different um, translation, it might say something else. But if, in ESV, it says the word slothful. Uh, do you guys like, know what sloths are like? Have you seen a sloth? Yeah, have you guys been to the zoo? Yeah, they're slow. What else are they? They're lazy. They can't say slow and fast. They're slow. They're lazy. Are they fast swimmers? But I've never seen a sloth swim. So it takes them 24 hours to get from the branch to the pool to actually get swimming, right? They're, they're lazy. That's what slothfulness means. It means to be idle, to be inactive. Here's a word, apathetic. Sorry if I just called out half the room. But that's what slothfulness means when we say that, right? But then we have zeal, right? That's the complete opposite. We have uh, zeal means to, to have a great energy in pursuit of a cause, right? So we can't have a contradiction, right? Do not be slothful in zeal. What Paul is saying, he's saying, don't be apathetic with the energy that you put into your devotion to God. That's what Paul is saying when he says, do not be slothful in zeal. Have you guys seen Red Notice, the movie on Netflix? Yeah? If you haven't, I can't recommend it because there's a lot of swearing in it. Um, so if you've seen it, I can't say anything. But I thought it was a good movie. The premise of it is that they're trying to steal these golden eggs. And there's three thieves that are trying to steal. I'm not going to spoil it. Um, there's three thieves that are trying to steal these eggs, right? And um, the, at the, like the whole time you think these, couple, these people are working together, but then at the very end, you don't know who's working together. You don't know who is in alliance with, with who. But here's the point. They're not waiting for the egg to like fall in their lap, right? They have a mission. I'm going to go and get this egg. And they're not just sitting there doing nothing. No, they are chasing the egg. There's a whole lot of action in the movie. They're jumping off buildings. They're, you know, just going through traffic. Like, it's insane how they go about getting this egg. And that's how translation to spiritual life, like we have a mission. Granted, it's not to steal anything, but we are pursuing a cause. We are pursuing the kingdom of God. We are pursuing your purpose. We are pursuing our identity. And if we just sit and wait for it, like wait for it to come to us, it's, it's going to hinder our purpose. We have to go after it. We have to chase it with everything that we've got. In other words, we have to make our faith something that we live for right? But to do that, we have to look at what the, the symptoms of, a, uh, of an idle spiritual life is. And the first one is a lack of conviction when you sin. There's a lot of these symptoms, by the way. I'm going to go through three. The first symptom of an idle spiritual life is a lack of conviction when you sin. And this may sound harsh, um, but, but here's the thing. When you are in a life of sin, one, if you have claimed Jesus as King and Lord and Savior, your salvation is not in question. I wanna, your, your identity is the same. But there's this thing that the Holy Spirit does in us called convicting our hearts where he, he 
lets us know that we are doing something wrong. We are outside of the will of God in this very moment. But the, the more that we continue to walk in that sin, the more that we continue to do it, the, the quieter the whisper of the Holy Spirit gets. And eventually we are not as convicted of our sin as we once, once were. Why? Because we are idle with pursuing our spiritual life. Instead, we are pursuing things outside of the will of God. So what's a symptom of an idle spiritual life? It's a lack of conviction of sin. Number two is a pattern of unforgiveness or broken relationships. A pattern. I want you to notice that word, a pattern. And <clears throat> I'm not saying every relationship has to be like, like roses and butterflies and unicorns and perfect, right? Um, and it does say in 1 John 4.20 that if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar for he does not have, or he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And so when I hear, or when I say or hear or talk about the word forgiveness, it could be a touchy subject, but Jackson talks about this really, really well. And he says that, when somebody hurts you, when they wrong you, they transgress against you, right? That's even in the Lord's prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us, right? And the word trespass means somebody has done wrong to you. They took something from you. They went where they weren't supposed to go, and that's not okay. God never says that's okay. But he says in light of the cross, we are to forgive them because we have been forgiven of the debt that we are owed. So what's a, a a pattern of, a, of an idle spiritual life is that we are living in unforgiveness with a bitter heart because we're not looking in light of the cross. Number three, obviously, is just a complacency of spiritual disciplines. What's a, what's a symptom of an idle spiritual life? Well, we're not going to do what God says to do in his word, right? We're not going to read it. We're not going to pray. We're not going to want to be in community. We might be present, but we're not present, right? We're not here in our hearts. We're not here in our minds. We're here physically, but we're not here mentally, emotionally, or spiritually, right? Those are symptoms of an idle spiritual life. But here's the good news. The first half is a little bit of bad news, but here's the good news. You don't have to stay there, right? You don't have to be idle for the rest of your life. You can make your faith something that you live for, and that's your Second point is that a growing spiritual life, a flourishing, a thriving, a purpose-filled, life-giving spiritual life is a choice that's made by you, right? Well, let me explain. It says, continuing on in verse 11, it says, don't be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. That can be translated, be fervent in the spirit, like the Holy Spirit. And the word fervency is just having or displaying a great energy. So it's another word for zeal. It's a synonym. And Paul wouldn't write it in such a way to make it sound like a choice if it wasn't a choice, right? He says, don't do this. He says, be this. It's a choice to be fervent in spirit. It's a choice to have energy with the way you pursue your spiritual life. And um, <laughs> I'm laughing at myself right now as I say that because I, I, I wrote bare minimum notes because I want this to be from the heart. And I'm realizing as I'm saying this that like, it's hard to have an energy, like, for, for your spiritual life, right? Like, when life hits you in the face, more times than not, why would we have energy with our spiritual life, right? But I think the better question to ask would be, like, how do we get that energy back, right? If we are complacent, if we are idle, if we are apathetic with the way we're approaching our spiritual life, and we claim to have Christ as Lord, like, how do we get that energy back? And I think there's two ways that we do that. One... It's a purpose-filled life. We live with a purpose. You see, 
what is our purpose? That's what we just talked about, right? The purpose is everything that we have heard thus far, that we have to worship God. That's what we are created to do. If we're not doing that, then our spiritual life won't thrive like it's meant to thrive. We are meant to know your identity. And if you don't know your identity, let me share it with you. You are holy and chosen. You are a royal priesthood. You are loved and you are accepted by God. You have been redeemed, bought with a price, and you are perfect in the eyes of your heavenly Father. Men and women of God, you are warriors. You, you can have victory. You can have power. You have been given authority. Sin should have no reign on you. You have the option to claim that authority. Like you have the option to be like, I am choosing this day to serve the Lord and he will guide me. He will strengthen me. He will uphold me because he says these things about you. And that's who you are. But there's also verbs for your identity of who you are. You're a bondservant. And I know that's kind of like a sketchy word. Like what does a bondservant mean? Well, a bondservant is somebody who has been redeemed. He's a slave that has been redeemed that has been treated so well by his master that he willfully or she willfully bends the knee and submits themselves under their master's authority once again. And isn't that us as Christians, right? Once we were sinners, we were in slavery, we were redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, and because we were treated so graciously, so mercifully, because we have received that love, we willingly subject ourselves to Christ's authority. That's what you are. You're a bondservant. You're also an ambassador. You carry the name of Christ. You carry the identity that Christ gives you. And if we are idle about that, if we are apathetic about that, then not only will your purpose be hindered, but also the people around you, they're going to pick up on that and they're going to start to believe that and that's not true. See, what you are and what you do can be two totally different things. So we must constantly be trying to align the two. And second, well, one, how do we get that energy back? right? We live with purpose. We have to understand what we are and what we're doing. But number two, I think, is godly grief, right? What do I mean by godly grief? Well, first, let's look to the text. It says in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 11, for see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal and punishment. At every point, you have proved yourselves innocent in this matter, right? We looked at the symptom of an idle spiritual life, and one of them was a lack of conviction for your sin. So on the other side of it, what does an energetic spiritual life look like? It's going to be a conviction for your sin, right? It's not completely rocket science, but when we look at our life, right, when we grow closer to God, we're going to come to a greater understanding of how sinful we are, right? Because God's still holy. He's as holy as he was, and he's going to be as holy as he is in the future, right? God hasn't changed, but we change, right? And we sin, and we lie, and we cheat, and we steal, whether we know it or not, right? Little bits here, little bits there, maybe nothing major. But any little ding or any little mark is enough to separate us from eternity with God, right? And when we're convicted about that, when we see that, when we truly understand that, it's going to give us so much energy to walk out our spiritual life because we understand the grace we've been given, we understand the mercy we've been given. We understand that I could not do it on my own. And God 
has done it for me. And if that doesn't rejuvenate your spiritual life, then I don't know what will, because it will, I promise you. If you're in prayer about that and you experience the true freedom that Christ brings, which by the way, guys, you can experience true freedom that Christ brings, um, it's gonna rejuvenate your spiritual life like nothing else. So how do we regain that, that energy that we once had, you know, maybe when we were first saved? One, we look to the cross, we see our purpose, we see where our identity comes from. And two, we look at, at us and we see the grace we've received and we, we experience godly grief. Point number three, we're moving on in Romans 12, 11. The third point is serve the Lord, right? And the way that you treat your personal walk with God is the way that you're gonna treat serving. See, I want you to notice that the command to serve the Lord came third, right? It came, in, it came after the two commands to one, not be apathetic and lazy with the zealous, zealousness that you approach your devotion to God, and it came after being fervent in the spirit, being energized and awakened, having a deep intensity about serving the Lord. Then it said, serve the Lord, right? And you see, many of us that grow up in church think serving is something that we have to do, something that we come and do on a regular basis. But what, it, what serving really is, is an overflow of how you are living your spiritual life, right? How you see your identity. When you are filled to the brim, being a bondservant to Christ, you're gonna serve out of that overflow. You're gonna to want to. It's not a have to. It's not, um, it's not just something that you do. It's a person that you are. See, this is an identity conversation, right? We are energetic about our faith. It's not don't do stuff to become energetic about your faith. He said, be fervent in spirit. He says, serve the Lord as a part of who you are. But what does it actually look like to serve the Lord? There's three stages and we're going to go through them really, really fast because I'm a little bit short on time. But the first one is discover. We have to discover what we're good at, right? Remember verses 3 through 8 in Romans 12. If you want to reference them, you can go back. Um, but you guys have been given a gift. You've been given strengths. You've been given weaknesses, right? We have to know what we're good at and what we're not good at. I know I am not good at singing. You guys don't want to hear me sing. But the... Maybe, maybe. But the thing is, the, the people that were up here just killed on vocals. And I would love to hear them worship every single week. But for me, I've been talking for like 20 minutes and my throat's like super dry. So like if I were to sing a whole worship set, I'd be like cracking and like you guys would cry at how bad it is. I know I'm not good at singing. I've discovered that about myself, right? When we go to serve, right, we have to develop at what we're good at, right? So many times I think we focus on what we're not good at, right? But find your strengths, find what you're good at, and then you have to develop it. But aside from just developing the actions of, of what you're good at, there's two things that I want you guys in this room to develop for the rest of your life. One of them is character, and the other one is leadership. Your character is the most important thing about you. And what character is, is what you do when nobody's looking right? That's a dangerous question to ask. What do I do when nobody's looking? That's your character, right? What do you do when you have the opportunity to take the low road? Instead, you take the high road, right? That's building character. And how do you build character? What well, says in scripture that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character. So as you sit in your English class and you've written your 1600th essay for high school, you're enduring and building character for how to finish assignments, right? That's what school is doing. Character is important to develop. 
But another point that's important to develop is your leadership. Now, many of you might look at me and think you're not a leader, right? You, you might not have an opportunity to, to lead anything, or you might not see yourself as a leader. You might not want to lead. But whether you like it or not, you are a leader. Leadership is nothing more than influence. And all of you guys have influence in your life. You have circles of friends. You have family. You have teachers. You have influence. You are a leader. And the second thing that leadership is, is ownership. Leadership is ownership. And if you don't take ownership of your life, if you let things happen to you instead of going after it for yourself, if you don't take ownership of your spiritual life, you won't lead it well. And if you don't see yourself or develop yourself as a leader, you're not going to lead well. You're going to eventually fall into the pattern of, of an idle spiritual life. And the third thing that leadership is, is that it's not a position. Leadership is an attitude. And leadership, when you are seeing yourself as a leader, is going to fuel what we've been talking about, about being energetic with your faith, about living for it, right? Because leadership is not a title or a position or status. Leadership is an attitude, and you guys are all leaders. The third, th the third thing that we do is we deploy, right? We have to do it, right? And once we discover, if we do all the work to develop ourselves and then we just do nothing, that, that's just wasted time, right? That's wasted energy. We have to deploy. We have to go send ourselves out and we have to pray that God sends us out into the harvest. It says in Matthew, it says that the, the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. So pray earnestly that God sends you into the harvest, right? So we discover what we're good at, what we're bad at. We develop what we're good at. We develop character and leadership. And then we, we do it. But you guys don't have to wait until you're graduated to start this process or even like be in the deployment stage of this process. You guys can start now. And that's what I want you guys to, to hear. Um, and I've got three minutes left. And with my last three minutes, I want to wrap up just, just the teaching, not about, not about Romans 12 anymore, but I want to just speak to you guys um, as just me. And the first thing I think is super important is to shout out the leaders that are here. I see Amanda, Jackie, Ron, Alex, Bridget, Mr. Hernandez back there, Katie's upstairs. And, and we, I, was, I was a part of this, the bridge for a little bit under two years now. And um, I was here when we weren't doing small groups and I've been a part of small groups since we launched it. Um, and the reason that we did that was one, because we, we felt like you guys needed a place to talk um, and to grow and to build fellowship and discipleship. But another reason is because we truly believed in those specific leaders. And we said, no, 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 no. They need to be able to pour into these students' lives. They need to be able to build relationships. And I have seen, sorry, I didn't call out Julia and Genesis. I didn't see them. They're, they're awesome as well. Um, yeah, let's give it up for them. Woo! But, but the thing is, like, I want you to know from my heart, like, they love you. Like, I have witnessed them pour their lives out to praying for you, to talking about you because of the love that they have for you. Truly, they serve the Lord out of an overflow of their heart from you. They care for you. They see you. They're praying for you. They want the best for you. And so as, as I might be stepping back and stepping away, these leaders are here for you. Like, they care about you deeply. As for myself, um, it's actually very difficult to, like, be up here and teach this last message. Like, I, I, as I was 
preparing, like just struggling with the Lord of whether or not to, to leave, like you guys were really what made this decision difficult. Like you guys, and I'm, in, I'm a part of the harbor, which is the young adults as well. Um, but like, I've seen you guys for, for two years. Most of you, when I came here, I scared all of you, right? Like you guys didn't want to talk to me. You thought I was 45. We didn't really know anything about each other. Um, but I've gotten to see some awesome things through Kingdom Conference was the first conference that I, I went to and I saw all of you guys just worship for the first time. It was awesome. It was literally the coolest thing I've ever seen in my whole life. And, and you guys are a rad like, group of, of students. There is like no group. There's a lot of churches with a lot of youth groups, but there's no group like your group. And I mean that. And it's, yeah, for sure. Give that up. And I want the best for you. I want you guys to continue to love God with all your heart. Like, I want you to live with energy for your spiritual life. Like, I want you to want that for yourself. That's my prayer for you. That will continue to be my prayer for you. And the last thing that I just want to say is that I love you. Like, I see you. I know that you guys are going through a lot. And like, I know that you guys might struggle or might, you know, like, come here and and go out through your week and, you know, forget everything that we all say here. But, like, we're here for you through your challenges. We're here th- for you through your ups and your downs. Um, and pa- Pastor Jackson has been so great just as a mentor to me. Like, you guys have a blessing of a pastor. I hope you know that. Like, you have a blessing with Pastor Mike. You have a blessing of some mentors in your life that you should take advantage of. And so I hope and I pray that even if you go through the worst remaining years of your life throughout high school, that you will come out on the other side knowing that there's people that love you and see you and care for you. Um, So let me pray for you guys. Lord, thank you for just this opportunity to to talk about your word. And God, I know that I, I need a renewed energy for my faith. And God, I pray earnestly, God, with power, God, in the mighty matchless name of Jesus, would you open the students' hearts to receive a renewed energy for for their spirit? God, would you give them just a power like none other that they've ever seen? God, would you fill them to the brim? And Lord, would you give them just a purpose? Would you show them their identity? Would they not only know who they are, but would they grasp it? And God, would you just supernaturally work in their heart so that they come to understand who they are and whose they are? God, would they give their lives to you if they haven't already? God, would you do greater and more powerful and more impactful things through them and in them than they could even picture, hope, or dream for themselves? God, I pray that they hope for big things. God, I pray that even if they're in high school, God, that they would see themselves as leaders. And God, I pray that you would send them out. God, I pray that you would develop them. And God, I pray that you would build a community that lasts in this room, God. Would you break chains? God, would you bring freedom? God, would you do what only you can do in the lives of these students? God, we love you and we worship you. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Hey guys, thanks so much for spending time with us. If you'd like to learn more about The Bridge, please follow us on Instagram at wearethebridge. Also, if you need prayer, send us a DM. Otherwise, tune in next time.